You know, there are so many rewards that are promised to the overcomer. In fact, most of the New Testament is spent talking about how we can become an overcomer. In 1 John 4, 17, it tells us that as he is, as Jesus is, so are we to be in this world. Well, how is he? Well, we certainly know that now, I mean, he's in heaven. But even when he was on earth, in John 16, verse 30, it says, Be of good cheer, for I have already overcome the world. So Jesus was saying, I'm an overcomer. So if we're to be as he is, then we're to be an overcomer in this life. What are we to overcome? Well, Satan is the God of this world, so we're to overcome his schemes, we're to overcome all of his assignments. But what I'm wanting us to see today is that no matter what kind of assignment from the enemy is coming against us, whatever it is that might be manifesting in your life, it can always be traced every single time. It can be traced back to the character of the enemy, which is fear. See, Satan's character is fear. So today we're going to be talking about overcoming fear. Now, I don't care what it is. I don't care how it's manifesting in your life. It can always be traced back to fear. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, well, that's not a problem to me. I, I really don't have any fear in my life. And especially many times I'll hear men say, you know, I'm just not a fearful person. Well, I think they're probably saying I'm not afraid of people or, or I'm not afraid of situations or I'm not afraid of this or that. Or, or maybe they're saying that they're not nervous. They're not jumpy because that's most people's connotation of fear. But that's really such a minor part of what we're talking about when we talk about fear. See, every single problem we have can be traced back to fear, can be traced back to the character of the enemy. Now, if we're worried and anxious and full of nervousness, then obviously we know that's coming from fear. But we need to realize that when we're in rejection, that's coming from fear. If we are insecure, that's coming from fear. Outbursts of anger, control, all of that's stemming from fear, hurt, jealousy. All of these can be traced back to fear. Every action, every attitude, every motive that doesn't line up with the Word of God, doesn't line up with the character of God, doesn't line up with the fruit of the Spirit, we can trace it back to fear. And of course, all that has a selfish base. Okay, how did fear then get here in the first place? Well, the way that fear enters is when our trust in God is broken down. Anytime our trust in God becomes broken down for any reason, that's an open door to fear. Now, it always enters through some area where we're not dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Now, sometimes we fear because we've not been taught to trust God. You know, a lot of people have never been taught to trust God. They've just never known that in certain areas they could really trust God and He would come through. So they walk in fear and they don't even know why. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Now, Adam and Eve had never experienced fear whatsoever until they moved away from God and began to doubt. They didn't know what fear felt like. They'd never experienced it. They walked in a perfect environment. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent was very crafty, more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, Surely you shall not die. Okay, the enemy tries to get us to doubt God and doubt his word. And basically what he was doing here in verse 4, he was calling God a liar. Now Eve had just told the serpent what God had said. And the serpent said, that's not true. Surely you don't believe that. 
Now see, he calls God a liar for one purpose only, in order to plant a little seed of doubt in our mind. That's what he tries to do to each one of us. He tries to get us to question God's character, to begin to question the validity of the word. And sometimes that can start with just a little seed of doubt, and it can be so subconscious that we don't even realize that we've allowed that thought in. So he tries to get us to come to that place where we begin to meditate on a doubt. Now, Satan doesn't have the power to walk up to any one of us and make us doubt. He can't do that. But he can put a subtle thought in our mind, a negative thought in our mind. And if we decide then to take that thought in and meditate on it and mull over it, then we start opening ourselves up to lack of trust. You know, have you ever known someone casually and you thought they were really nice, you thought they were a really neat person? But then later, out of a spirit of jealousy, maybe, someone just makes a derogatory remark about their character. Now, if you're not careful, without even checking it out many times, it's easy to just kind of take that thought in and begin to mull over what was said until without even realizing it, it dampens your attitude toward that person. And a lot of times, it wasn't even true. It wasn't even something that was the truth. It was just somebody's envy or maybe somebody's jealousy talking. But see, the damage was still done. Now, Satan is bad about tearing down people's character, and he'll do that many times through the mouth of another individual. But even more serious, I want us to see how he is constantly trying to tear down the character of God. See, we notice it many times when he tries to tear down the character of another person. But sometimes we're not realizing that he's casting subtle little doubts in our mind concerning the Word and concerning God's faithfulness to perform His Word. So we're going to have to be on our guard not to take those things in because what it does, it begins to open us up to doubt. And the moment we open our mind and our heart to doubt, then we're going to begin to fear. Now, Satan said to Eve, you're surely not going to die. Surely you don't believe that. And when she took that thought in, she questioned the validity of God's word. Now, at whatever point we doubt God's word, what we're doing, we're calling God a liar. Now, Satan will subtly cast doubts on the Word because he knows that when he can break down that barrier of trust, see, when we're in trust, we've got a barrier around us. It's like a shield in front of us. But when he can break that barrier down, when he can get us to doubt, then there's no place for us to go except back into fear. Okay, now I want us to look at the process through which our subconscious mind will go. Now, we've been taught that God is our source. We know that God is the God of the universe. We know that He created everything. And we know that He's the one that sustains us. We know that He's the one that provides. But if we begin to think on thoughts like, well, what if some portion of the Word's not true? Or sometimes we'll think on the thought, well, what if the Word's not going to work for me? You know, it works for everybody else, but, you know, I don't see it working in my life. Or, or maybe the Word doesn't work every single time. And as we began to think on those thoughts, we began to lose confidence in our source. We began to lose confidence in the one, that, the sustainer of life. And we began to lose trust in him. And when we began to lose that confidence in our source, then there's no place to go except to ourself. We have to go back to relying on ourselves Because if we can't turn to God, if we can't really trust him, then there's no place to go except to do it ourselves. And since we know ourselves better than anybody else knows us, and since we know our inadequacies and we know our weaknesses, and we know all those little hidden things about ourselves, then we know we're not capable, and so the fear begins to come in. 
Now, sometimes it's subconscious, but it enters in any time that we come to that place where we lose trust in our provider. So that's what the enemy's doing here. In verse four, he's just told the woman, you know, surely you don't believe God. Surely you don't believe that that's the truth. And then he begins to try to get her to question God's motive. Look in verse five. He said, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. He said, you know, the reason God doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because when you do, you're going to be just exactly like God. And he doesn't want that. And he knows that when you eat from that tree, you're going to know what he knows. And so he's trying to keep you from it because he doesn't want you to have as much wisdom as he has. And so the woman then saw the tree. All of a sudden, she starts looking at that tree. She's probably never paid much attention to it before. She just knew it was a tree she wasn't supposed to have anything to do with. But she begins to look at that tree and she sees that the tree is good for food. She notices that there is food on the tree and that it's a delight to the eye. For the first time, she realizes, hey, that tree looks pretty good. And she realizes that the tree was desirable to make one wise. And so she begins to mull over the fact that, hey, it would make you wise when you partake of that tree. Maybe God really doesn't want me to partake of the tree because then I will become just like him. And so when she takes those thoughts in, then finally she takes from the fruit and she eats it and then she gives it to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called the man and he said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. I want you to circle the word afraid there. Lack of trust and doubting the motives of God and doubting God's faithfulness opened the door to the first fallen emotion, which was fear. Now, before there was any pain, Adam and Eve had never experienced pain. They'd never experienced death. No one had died. The curse hadn't even come in at this point. But yet before any of these things, fear was there. This is the first fallen emotion. But see, that fear can manifest itself in many different ways. Now I've heard it taught that fear will manifest itself in one of three ways first. And I thought on this and, and I pretty well agree with it. Number one, it will manifest itself in just obvious fear, just out and out panic sometime or, or just fear of different types. Number two, fear will manifest itself in pride, you know, where we come to the place where we fear and then we say, well, if I can't trust God to do it, then I'll just do it myself. You know, after all, I'm not going to be able to wait around forever. You know, something's got to be done, and if God's not going to do it, then I guess I'm going to have to do it. I'll just have to do it myself. I've tried it God's way, and, and nothing worked. Nothing happened. Well, what that is, that's fear talking, but it's manifesting in pride. I'll fix it since God's not doing it for me. Or number three, that fear will manifest in rebellion. See, we rebel against the one whom we fear. Now, sometimes we'll withdraw, but withdrawal is a form of rebellion. But from there, from fear, pride, and rebellion, we're going to find then that that fear is going to manifest itself in every area in our life that doesn't line up with the Word of God. And in whatever area that fear is manifesting in our life, we can justify it all day long. 
You know, we can justify the fact that we've got to fix it ourselves because God didn't come through, or we can justify so many different things in our life until we stop and realize it just doesn't line up with the Word of God. And if we're ever going to go on to victory, we're going to have to come back and admit this fear came in because I was not dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. This fear came in because I was not trusting God. And those manifestations are going to have to be dealt with. They're going to have to be seen as sin. And we're going to have to come to the place where we say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me because I've gotten into a place of not depending on you. And I repent and I want to change. We've got to say, Lord, in this particular area, I moved out from under the shelter of the Most High. But Lord, I want to turn. I want to come back to you. I want to trust you. And if we don't do that, we're going to find that it's going to hinder our spiritual growth. Now, the objective of this Bible study is to overcome the fear in our life and then shut the door to those areas that's opened us up to fear. Now, the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, they were translated out of the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. And instantly, their spirit man died. And they took on the nature of Satan, which was fear. Now, I want you to turn to Revelation 21, verse 8. I'm going to go from Genesis clear over to Revelation. But I want you to see the, the character of the enemy. See, it helps us to want to overcome fear when we realize that that's Satan's nature. That's the very nature of the enemy. So in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it says, But the fearful, some of your translations will say cowardly, but the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderer, the immoral persons, the sorcerer, idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now notice the very first thing that he mentions is the fearful. Now, John is not saying that everyone who has ever experienced the emotion of fear is going to burn in the lake of fire. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about the one who has the nature of the enemy. Those who are spiritually dead, those who are separated from God. Now, any time that someone has, is separated from God, even if it's just temporarily separated from God, fear is always present. See, outside the presence of God is always to be inside the presence of fear. Anytime we're separated from God, we're in fear. Now, I think it's interesting that God used fearful as the noun to describe those that are separated from him. But when you think about it, that says it all. Because that is the nature and that's the whole emotion that encompasses a person who is separated from God. They're fearful. But once we become born again, a part of our inheritance is that we are redeemed from fear first. See, it was the first emotion that came in with sin, and that it should be the very first thing to leave once we come to God. Now, most people don't even think about deliverance from fear as being a part of their inheritance. You know, we think of all the other wonderful promises that God makes. But most of the time, we don't even think about the fact that one of the most wonderful promises is the fact that we're redeemed from fear when we come to Him, when we become His child. And that's, to me, one of the most blessed things that He's given to us. Now, I want you to look there in Revelation 21. Look back at verse 7. He says, he who overcomes 
shall inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. That's a beautiful promise right there in verse 7. Then the moment that he finishes telling what the promise will be to the overcomer, that's when he says then, but those who are fearful, and these other things that he listed, will not be able to participate. In other words, we're going to find that fear is the great preventer. Fear keeps us from enjoying the sonship. Satan tries to keep us from becoming the son of God, the child of God. And, and keep us in that fearful nature. But then when we go ahead and make the choice to become God's child, then he tries to keep us from enjoying that sonship by not understanding that a part of our inheritance is this redemption from fear. Now I want you to look at Romans 8 verse 15. Paul talks here about our redemption from fear. But sometimes we don't recognize this revelation. Sometimes we just read through these passages and we don't realize that this is a part of our redemption. This is a part of our inheritance. And so in Romans 8, verse 15, Paul says, You have not received a, a spirit of slavery or a spirit of bondage leading back to fear. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul's saying, don't go back into that bondage that's going to lead you right back into that fear. The very fear that Adam and Eve opened up to. He said, you have a new nature now. He said, you've been adopted by God. So he's saying, instead of running to that fear, running to that bondage and opening yourself back up to fear. He said, now you can run to God and you can cry, Abba, Father. Just exactly like it was talking about in Revelation 21, verse 7, when it says, when you're an overcomer, then God said, I'll become a father to them and they'll become a son to me. Now, our new nature reaches out to God, not to the nature of the enemy. But if we don't realize that from which we've been redeemed, then what we'll do, we'll override that gift that he's given us and we'll return to that bondage and enter back into the fear. So we don't have to fear anymore. You know, sometimes we don't realize just exactly like once we become a Christian, we don't have to sin anymore. When we become a Christian, we also don't have to fear anymore. That's no longer a part of our nature. We've been redeemed from that. And that shouting ground where we realize we don't have to fear ever again. I want you to turn to Isaiah 54, verse 14. There's so many places throughout the Word of God that allows us to know that this is our new nature, this redemption from fear. Isaiah 54 lists out so many of the things that are included in our inheritance after we become a child of God. But one of the things it mentions in Isaiah 54, verse 14, is that in righteousness we will be established. We'll be far from oppression, for we will not fear. And we'll be far from terror, for it will not come near us. Okay, a part of our covenant is that we're going to be far from oppression. How are we going to be far from oppression? Why are we going to be far from oppression? Because he said you won't be fearing. See, that fear brings in the oppression. And he talks down in verse 17 about the fact that no weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. And he says, this is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. 
and their vindication is from me. See, a part of our inheritance is that we will not fear. We're redeemed from fear. Now, I love Psalm 34, verse 4. That's one that we need to quote often. Lord, I sought you and you delivered me from all of my fears. You know, when we realize that fear manifests in all these different ways, then when we're crying out to God to be delivered and he delivers us from all of our fears, he delivers us from all of the ways in which fear is manifesting. So one of the privileges as a child of God is that we can cry out and God will deliver us from these different manifestations of fear in our life. Okay, look at verse 14 again. It says that we'll be established in righteousness because we're not fearing, because we're not in fear. See, the moment that we become a Christian, we are righteous because of the blood of Jesus. The very moment that we accept Jesus. But our mind has to be renewed to that for us to be able to walk in that righteousness, for us to be able to be established spirit, soul, and body in that righteousness. See, he said, we'll become established. In righteousness, you'll become established because you don't fear. So we'll be far from oppression because we've been established in that righteousness. See, all oppression comes out of a fear. Every sin, every oppression can be traced back to fear. And all of that comes in through the door of lack of faith. So the answer to coming in out of the fear is realizing we are righteous. We've been established in God's righteousness through the realization that we're now under the law of life in Jesus. We've been delivered. Now, when we become born again, we're birthed out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of righteousness. And in an instant of time, then our nature changes and no longer do we have a nature of fear. Instantly, our nature changes from fear to righteousness. But our mind and our emotions have to be renewed because our mind is not instantly changed. Our mind has to be renewed to the Word of God. That's why we have to take the Word in and it literally washes our mind and cleanses our mind until it becomes renewed. But God's wanting us to come to the place where we meditate day and night on the fact that our mind, our will, and our emotions are inside of Christ Jesus who is righteous, where there is no fear. And as we begin to concentrate on that, and we begin to meditate on that, then our mind becomes renewed. We need to say over and over, Lord, I thank you that I no longer have a fear nature. I thank you that I am birthed inside of Christ Jesus and I'm being established in righteousness. And as we say that, and as it becomes a reality, we'll begin to walk free from fear. Now, someone once pointed out something that I thought was very interesting. They said that they had counted through the Word of God, and they found out that there were 366 times where God said, fear not or do not be afraid. Now, I've not counted it, so I'm going to take their word for it. But I thought it was interesting. They said that God had said, do not fear once for every day of the year, and then an extra time for leap year, 366 times. Now, it must be pretty important for God to command it that many times, 366 times. And the good news is that God never gives us a commandment. He never makes a requirement without telling us how to do it, how to carry out that commandment. Now, the Bible tells us that God's commandments are for our benefit and for our survival. And he's very specific. The way he tells us to do it is always very simple. And the good part is that God's way of doing it, his instructions always work. 
Now, sometimes we miss those instructions simply because we strike out in our own power and we think, well, we're going to do it on our own. You know, we hear that we're not supposed to fear and we go out trying to keep ourselves from fearing. But that's not how God told us to do it. And we're never going to be able to accomplish the things of God in our own willpower. We'll fail miserably. But when we do it God's way, it works every single time. Now this week and next, I'm going to give you four facts that will aid you in overcoming fear. Two this week and two next week. Now we're going to not be dealing this time with the spirit of fear, like 2 Timothy 1.7, where it talks about God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Now we have spiritual weapons that we can use against a demonic spirit of fear. And sometime you will have a demonic spirit of fear come to approach you. But God's given you spiritual weapons, but we're not going to be dealing with that. Today we're just going to be dealing with the emotions and the thoughts that open us up to emotions of fear and thoughts of fear that keep us in bondage and, and keep us in oppression. And for that, we have to have our mind renewed. Okay, now the number one fact that will help you in overcoming fear is the realization that fear is sin. And you say, well, how can fear be sin? Well, Romans 14 verse 23 tells us that whatever is not of faith is sin. See, fear is a negative faith. Therefore, anytime we're fearing what we're doing, we're putting a negative faith into action. Now, anytime we're in fear, we're acknowledging the fact that this thing that we're fearing could happen. See, when we're fearing, we're saying, yes, it is a possibility that the word might not work in this particular area. See, faith calls fear a lie. Anytime that you see some circumstances or you hear something that doesn't line up with the word of God, if you come to the Word and you say, no, I don't believe those circumstances because the Word of God says thus and so, well, what you're doing, you're using faith to call that fear a lie. But on the other hand, fear, if you get into fear, fear is calling the Word a lie. See, any time that we start fearing, we're saying, yes, it is a possibility that the Word might not work in this particular situation. And we're either going to be on one side or the other. We're going to be operating in faith or we're going to be operating in fear. Now, fear is sin. And the moment that we realize it's sin, we're going to start standing against it because none of us want sin in our life. When we operate in fear, we can't blame Satan for the outcome because our choice to stay in fear is just like an open door to the enemy. But it's also a two-way street. Just as fear opens the door to sin we're going to find that sin also opens the door to fear. And so it gets you coming and going. Because any time a person is in a known willful sin, doesn't matter whether that sin is adultery or self-pity or anger or control or whatever you might name, any time we're in a known willful sin, it gives fear a legal entry. And there's no way then out of that fear until we come to a place where we genuinely repent and turn from the willful sin and say, I'm going to claim my blood covenant with Christ that cleanses me and restores me and brings me back into my Abba Father relationship. So first, we have to see fear is sin. And then the number two fact that will help us to become an overcomer is the realization that every single time that God said, fear not, 
the very next sentence or in context with that, he told us exactly what to do to come out of the fear. I'm going to give you several scriptures because I want you to see how every single time God gave us the command, he also gave us what to do right there with it. I want you to turn to Isaiah 41 verse 10. Isaiah 41 10. Now this is the scripture that we quote many times having to do with fear. But how many times have we noticed that right there with the command is the how to do it? Okay, Isaiah 41, verse 10, it starts out by saying, do not fear. There's your command from God. But notice how to do it is right after it. Do not fear, for I am with you, God says. Okay, the way that we be not afraid is the realization that God says, I am with you. Look what he says next. Do not anxiously look about you. What do we do when we, we get into fear? We begin to look all around us. We're listening to the voice of the enemy and we're looking at the circumstances and we're frantically looking here and there. Everything's causing us to fear. Just exactly like Peter when he started looking at the waves. Got his eyes off of Jesus. Okay, God's saying here, don't look anxiously about and get into fear. Okay, if we try to keep from looking anxiously about in our own strength, we can never do it. We're going to find ourselves getting more and more fearful. But the very next statement tells us how we cannot look anxiously about. He said, don't look anxiously about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Okay, the way we escape then fear is by realizing that God is right there with us. He's holding us in his righteous right hand. So there's absolutely not a thing to be afraid of because he's right there with us. Okay, turn two chapters over to Isaiah 43, verse 5. In Isaiah 43, verse 5, again, he says, do not fear. And then immediately he says, for I am with you. Every single time that he tells us not to fear, he immediately says, because I am with you. Look at Joshua 1.9. Joshua 1.9. You know, it's so amazing how many times he gives us this direct command and then he gives us the same instructions every single time. You know, as I was looking up these scriptures the first time, I thought that surely I was going to find a time when he said, do not fear, and then he would tell us something different to do. I thought surely there's going to be at least one time when he gives us something else to do. But every single time he gave us the same instructions. And so in Joshua 1 verse 9, he said, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed or fear. Okay, he said, I've commanded you to be strong and courageous. I commanded you not to tremble or be dismayed or fear. And then he said, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, God's never going to command something of us without telling us how to do it. And his way is so simple. Look at Psalm 23. Now, most of us have memorized this scripture and we've quoted it over and over. And yet, sometimes we'll miss just one little tidbit that's so important. Now, in Psalm 23, God gives us all seven of his covenant names. He covers all seven of them. And he lets us know through David that he's our shepherd. 
David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And he said, because God is my shepherd, I'm not going to want for anything. And then down in verse four, David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why was he able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil? Because he said, thou art with me. Okay, David had learned the secret of not being afraid. He knew that he could go through the valley of the shadow of death, and he knew that he didn't have to be afraid. And the reason he knew he didn't have to be afraid was because God was with him. It wasn't because David was thinking, okay, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to determine in my heart I'm not going to be afraid. That's not what kept him from being afraid. It was knowing that God was there. You know, when you were little, did you ever fear when your dad had you sitting on his lap with his arms around you? No, that was not a time that we were ever fearing. His nearness drove that fear away. Okay, the realization of God's nearness is what's going to drive the fear out of our lives now. Okay, look at Psalm 91. Now, this is our total covenant written out. In Psalm 91, verse 5, he lists all the categories of evil that can come against us. But he says, you're not going to be afraid of any of them. You're not going to be afraid of the terror by night. In other words, the evil that comes through man. You're not going to be afraid of the arrows that fly by day, the things that Satan sends to wound you. You're not going to be afraid of the pestilence, the sickness, the diseases. He said, you're not going to be afraid of the destruction that lays waste at noon, the evils that come outside of man. He said, you're not going to be afraid of any of these things. Okay, why will we not be afraid of any of these things? What keeps us from being afraid? Okay, look back in verse 4. He said, because God's going to cover you with His pinions and under His wings, you're going to be able to seek refuge and His faithfulness is going to be a shield. That's why we're not afraid because under His wings, behind His shield of protection, in His shadow is where we're not afraid. Anytime the fear of sickness comes, it's the realization that the Jehovah Rapha is near that drives out that fear. See, the Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my health, my healer, has wrapped me in his arms. Therefore, I don't have to be afraid. I've been redeemed from sickness. And we know that because Galatians 3.13 tells us we've been redeemed from the curse. The curses are listed in Deuteronomy 28. And verse 61 tells us that every sickness and disease, even the ones not listed in the book, are a part of the curse. See, it's when we run under the covering wings of the Jehovah Rapha, not the wings of our plan B where we go out and try to do it ourselves. It's when we run to Him for His answers. And because we're commanded not to fear, then we have to find God's way for doing it. Okay, now let me give you a secret for coming out of fear. Don't concentrate on not being fearful. You know, don't concentrate on thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. I can get rid of this fear. I've done this before, and, and if I'll just try hard enough, I can do it again. You're going to find that every time you look at it that way, that fear is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Just about the time that you think you've conquered it, then you're going to turn around, it's going to be there again. But if we start to concentrate on dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, if we start concentrating trading on hiding under His wings and being covered by His righteousness, concentrating on everything that He has to say to us, all the promises in the Word of God, that fear is going to begin to diminish. 
And that's what the law of life in Jesus is all about. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And as we begin to dwell in that, then we don't even have to worry about the fear. The, the fear will be, begin to diminish until finally it's not even there. Concentrating on the fact that He is near and His Word is true. Look at Hebrews 13 verse 6. The reason that I'm giving you so many scriptures is because I want you to see that he didn't just say this once or twice. You know, it's repeated all through the pages of the Old and the New Testament. He's wanting us to see the way to come out of fear. And of course, he is the way. In John 14, he says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, since fear is the door that leads to every other evil thing that doesn't line up with God's word, if we close that door to fear, then we're going to find ourselves closing the door to a lot of other things that have been harassing us, a lot of other oppression. And in Hebrews 13, verse 6, it says that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Okay, why are we able to say, the Lord is my helper, so I can confidently say, I'm not going to be afraid of anything that man can do. Okay, the reason that we can confidently say that is because in the last part of verse 5, God has said, I'm never going to leave you and I'll never forsake you. We can confidently say, I'm not going to be afraid because my God will never leave me and he will never forsake me. He's never going to give us a commandment without telling us how to do it. And God's how to not fear is so simple. But it's super abundantly enough. His answer is, I am with you. He's the Word made flesh, and that's all we need. Now, as we concentrate on that fact, that the God of the universe is with me, that fear is going to begin to leave in every area of our life. Now, there was no fear in Adam and Eve whatsoever until they walked away from God and until they got into sin. Then they had to hide themselves because they were afraid. You'll never find fear in the presence of God. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, you know, I've been in my prayer time before when I've gotten into a lot of fear. Well, you may have been in his presence one moment, and then the next moment you had a fear thought and you began to dwell on that fear thought. And when you did, you were out of the presence of God. See, it only takes just a second for us to get out of his presence when we begin to think on a fear thought. But in the presence of God, there's going to be an absence of fear. And that's a good barometer for us to know whether we're out of His presence or not. Because in His presence is the fullness of joy and the fullness of peace. So if fear comes in, then we can immediately know that we need to take those thoughts captive. Everything that doesn't line up with the Word of God. And that's our signal to get right back into His arms. Now, I said earlier that we are established in righteousness, and we are. There's no fear involved in His righteousness. But our mind has to be renewed to that. That God is with us all the time. That He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And that one of His covenant names is Jehovah Shamish. The Lord ever present. So we talk about the Jehovah Jireh and we talk about the Jehovah Rapha. But we need to begin talking about the Jehovah Shamish. The God that is ever present. See, the moment we step out of His presence, when we begin to meditate on the negatives, fear is going to begin to plague our mind and our emotions. But that doesn't mean that God's left us. That means we've stepped out of His presence. See, we can choose to walk away from Him, but He'll, he'll never leave us. 
Okay, now we've looked at God's formula for overcoming fear by recognizing, number one, that, that fear is a sin. And number two, recognizing that He is near. He's always near. Next week, we're going to look at two more facts from the Word of God that's going to give us something else to use to become an overcomer over fear in our life. When we overcome fear, we're going to find that everything else is going to fall in place. Every other thing that plagues us will be easily taken care of because everything has its root in fear. Father, thank you for your deliverance. I thank you, Lord, that we can cry out to you. And when we seek you, and you do deliver us from all of our fears. Now, Lord, I thank you that you have given us the command to fear not, but you've also told us how to do it. And Lord, I thank you that we don't have to do it in our own strength. I thank you, Father, that we don't have to psych ourselves up till we think, oh, I can make it without being in fear. Father, I thank you that the way we can come out of that fear is just turning back to you and knowing you're there and that your arms are around us and that you love us and you never leave us and you never forsake us and that your word is true. Father, I pray that you'll give us the understanding of your word to the point that we won't run to our own strength and try to do it in our own strength, Father, but that we'll not get into that kind of pride or we'll not get into the rebellion of pulling away from you. Lord, help us to realize that you are our God, we are your child, and that we do have the relationship where we can cry out, Abba, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.